I am, I am going to begin with a, a recognition that this sermon, this Christmas sermon, is not a typical Christmas sermon. And, and let me explain to you why I am okay with giving you a Christmas sermon that's not a typical Christmas sermon. As a pastor, um, all of us as pastors and even, even ruling elders, we have an opportunity as we shepherd people to spend a lot of time with people. We get to meet happy people where things are going well for them and talk to other people who are sad, who are going through difficulties, struggles, trials. But with every person that I meet with, whether they be happy, whether they be sad, all of us as human beings, we're all experiencing to some degree or another the effects of living in a world that is marked by sin. I mean, we began this morning even after the announcements before the call to worship with um, a reminder of all the people that are struggling in our, convert, in, in our community here. We didn't even begin to scratch the surface. We have estranged family relations. We have people who are struggling financially. We have people who are lonely, who are are feeling alienated. There are many of us this Christmas, for the first time, will not spend it with somebody that is special to us. Many of us, as we've already recognized, are struggling with sickness and other afflictions. And even those of us who are really excited for the coming of Christmas next Sunday morning. It will not be long before the tree will come down, we'll take off the lights, and we'll begin the daily grind. It's for these reasons and more, I do, I yearn for us this morning to look at Christmas from a different perspective. Whether you are young and whether you are old, I, w- I want us to look at Christmas from a cosmic perspective. I want us to see Christmas like this. Jesus Christ has come, and he's definitely come as a little baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. He was born a baby, but he grew into a man, and he grew into a man so that he could fight for his people. And this Jesus, who was born a baby, he did battle with a wicked foe. He's entered into this this cosmic battle with the devil, with death. And with sin. And Jesus won. And even if it doesn't feel that way for you this morning. Even if it doesn't appear that way. When you walk outside those doors. Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ is one. And because he's one we do have hope. We can persevere. We can be faithful. And because Jesus Christ is one, we as his people have won as well. And it all began on Christmas morning. As we read our passage this morning, I'm going to break this long section of scripture down into three different sections. And each section Understand this is before we read it. Each section is designed to engage your imaginations, helping us to understand that there is much that is going on behind the scenes of what we see. 
And as we see this unseen spiritual world of reality, as we come to grips with what is going on behind the scenes, it will help us better navigate whatever it is God is asking us to go through in this part of our lives. And it will also empower us to be faithful in the future. So as I read this passage that's printed for you in your bulletin, know that the first six verses, it's almost like a a telescopic vision from heaven beamed down to earth and the heavenly hosts are looking at what has been done on earth when Jesus comes. Then we get to 7 through 12 and 7 through 12 is is basically the heavenly counterpart of what happened on earth. It has heavenly implications. And then in the last section of Revelation 12, it helps us understand the world that's around us today. Be real clear. I'm I'm not going to give you a detailed verse-by-verse exegesis of Revelation 12, right? I don't have time. Um, And to be quite frank with you, I can't. I don't know what 1,260 days actually means. I don't know what a time, a times, and a a half a time is. But I'm going to take these three sections of Scripture. And I'm going to take one or two truths from each section. And I believe that they will help us better understand what happened at Christmas. Will help us understand better about what Jesus began when he was born as a baby. So let's look at Revelation 12, verses 1 through 6. First, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant, and she was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, A great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, cast them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So in these first six verses, we have, we have a woman. A woman is the faithful community of God. We have a child. And the child, of course, is God become man, Jesus Christ. And the dragon is the devil. In verses 7 through 12, what we have is a heavenly equivalent, or we could say it like this, what Jesus does on earth has heavenly implications. Let's read that. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they, and that they is us, 
and they have conquered him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. And therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. The verse 13 picks up where verse 6 left off, helps us understand the world that we are living in today. Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. And then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I just ask simply this morning that you would set our minds and our hearts on things above. Lift us up into the presence of Jesus Christ where he is seated, that we would meet with him and see him and learn from him through your word. It's his glory we ask. Amen. It's kind of a pretty powerful, apocalyptic type piece of literature, is it not? Talking about otherworldly things, I was... I am in the midst of reading Tim Keller's new book, Making Sense of God. And there's a, in that book, there's a chapter on hope. And he tells the story of an African-American scholar at Boston University. His name is Howard Thurman. He wrote in the mid-20th century, in the 1940s. He gave a famous lecture in 1947 on the meaning and the importance of Negro spirituals. This is what he said. He engaged the ideas of the spiritual songs of the slaves, and he said they focused on otherworldly ideas. They focused on crowns. They focused on thrones. The songs focused on robes, a belief in a final judgment, the immortality of the soul, a reunion with loved ones. And this is what he said, I quote. He said, these spiritual songs taught the slaves how to ride high in life, to look squarely in the face of evil and still have hope. And it was a hope that could not be crushed. He said these songs, and I quote again, enabled them to affirm the terrible right to life. And it was a life of victory in the midst of hell. The spiritual songs of the slaves encouraged them as they spoke about heavenly, otherworldly, so-called symbols. Then I went on to read, and he said something even more powerful than than what he just said. He, He goes on, and he says that all these songs about crowns and robes and thrones, they were not about symbols. He said, if these things were seen by the slaves as merely symbols and not real, they never would have served to provide a life of hope when the prospects for improvement were so bleak. 
And Kim, Tim Keller goes on and he takes it. He says, imagine, and I want you to put yourself in this position here. Imagine how ludicrous it would be to go back into history and to sit down with a, with a group of early 19th century slaves and say this. There'll never be a judgment day in which all wrongdoing will be put right. There is no future world and no future life in which your desires will ever be satisfied. This life is all there is. When you die, you simply cease to exist. Our only real hope for a better world lies in improved social policy. Now, with these things in mind, slaves, go out there, keep your head high, live a life of courage and love, and don't give in to despair. How ludicrous would that be? Revelation 12 gives God's people an otherworldly account of what God began to do the first Christmas. And it is a heavenly account, and it's not just symbols, but it's an aspect of reality that we can't see, but it is real. The point this morning is that with Christmas... With the coming of Jesus Christ, the baby born on Christmas Day, that God has set in motion the beginning of the end. And the reason, listen now, the reason that the world is the way it is today, even the reason that we are struggling with our own sin and brokenness, is that the devil knows his time is near, and because the devil knows that his time is near, he is doing all that he can to make this time tough for us now. Think about this. If you knew the battle for life had been won, if you knew that at a certain time in the future that you will experience the fruits of Christ's victory fully, if you knew without a shadow of a doubt that your end will be perfect and secure, would you not be motivated to love and to serve and to work, even persevere in the midst of difficult times to show the rest of the world that Jesus Christ is one? And I was a little bit reluctant to say this, but I'm going to say this because I think we need to hear it and I think it's biblical. And it comes from primarily Greg Beale, who's a New Testament theologian. He says this, The suffering of Christians is a sign not of Satan's victory, but of the saints' victory over him because of their belief in the triumph of the Christ. Our suffering here on earth is proof that God has won. And I'm going to show that to you from Revelation 12. Is that just in my ear or is it reverberating? It's in my ear? Okay. That makes me feel better. You're hearing it too. We're used to thinking about Revelation as a book that has all sorts of cryptic information about when Jesus is going to come back specifically in the future. And the best thing I can say about that interpretation of Revelation is that's unfortunate. Because Revelation is written to a real people who lived at a real time, and these real people were in the midst of suffering, hurting, and being persecuted, and they needed to be encouraged. So when we read chapter 12, which we've already read, you need to understand it comes in the context of this. There were seven letters written to seven churches. And you know why those letters were written? It was writ they were written... <laughs> they were written 
to speak to the pressures that Christians have to compromise with the world. Are you tempted to compromise with the world? I am. The seven seals reveal the spiritual forces that are unleashed against the unbeliever and the believer alike. And the trumpets demonstrate God's judgment on sin and evil people. And chapter 12 comes in, begins a new section, and provides for us a cosmic picture of what God has done to deal with all of that by sending Jesus Christ. It's a glimpse of what's going on behind the scenes. And as this vision for life captures our heart's imaginations, we will see that our great enemy, the devil, has been defeated that our victory is certain, and when this becomes real, we are empowered to persevere through suffering, even enter into the suffering of other people for God's glory. Do you hear that? I, I really do. I want you to capture a vision. I do believe this is real. And I don't know how it's all to be worked out, but there's much more to life than simply what we see, what we touch, and what we feel. And Revelation 12 gives us a cosmic vision of all these unseen realities that are going on outside. And this battle is real. And it's not against flesh and blood, but against, it's, it's against the rulers. It's against the authorities. And it's against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. And when we understand that our battle is not simply right here, but it's against bigger, something bigger than ourselves. And Jesus Christ has come, and he's defeated the great enemy. And when we realize that we're captured up into his victory, and we've won as well, then we can do anything and everything that we need to do to glorify God in the here and now, because I want the rest of the world to know that Jesus Christ has won. Because look, there, I, there, I've seen shed tears out there this morning. What is it that's going to enable you to keep going? Not only that, there are all sorts of people that are not shedding tears, but there are all sorts of people out here shedding tears. And how are we going to give up our own comfort and enter into their suffering if we don't believe that something bigger is going on in this world around us? Let me quickly go through these sections of Scripture. The woman clothed, verses 1 through 6. The woman clothed with the sun and the moon and the crown. It's a picture of God's faithful community who lived before the coming of Christ and after the coming of Christ. Should remind you of Jacob, his wife, the 11 tribes of Israel bowing down to Joseph in Genesis. The brightness of the woman is reflecting the brightness in the face of Jesus Christ. The crown that the woman is wearing represents the saint's share in the kingship of Christ. If Jesus is one, so have we. The woman is about to give birth. It's a seed of the woman. It's spoken of in Genesis 3, who comes to crush the serpent. It's about Christ's coming. In other words, the woman representing God's covenant people gives birth to the one who's going to take back what was lost in the garden. So we have this woman who's about to give birth to a baby, a child. And then there's the dragon. Realize the image of a dragon, not just in the Bible, but in ancient literature, is always about evil kingdoms and evil people persecuting the good guys. 
The dragon is standing before the woman who's about to give birth in order to devour her child. Think back to when Jesus was born, who tried to kill Jesus but Herod. Think back to Jesus' time in the wilderness with his trials and temptations of the devil. And what happens next, rather than being destroyed, the child is caught up to God and to his throne. Rather than defeat, Jesus is resurrected. He's ascended to the Father's right hand where he rules with an iron scepter. All in one sentence in verse 5, you have the birth, you have the life, you have the death, you have the resurrection, you have the ascension of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know why it's all there and it can be put in one sentence? Because the birth of Jesus means absolutely nothing without the life of Jesus. And the life of Jesus means absolutely nothing without the death of Jesus. And the death of Jesus is useless to us without the resurrection of Jesus. And then it all makes sense when we understand after he's resurrected, he's ascended, and he really does sit up there at the right hand of God, and he really is ruling. And just because we can't see him doesn't mean that he's not doing that. And after that, the woman, the faithful community, it's us, right? We're sent out. This is powerful. We're sent out in the wilderness for a time to be nourished, just like Moses, just like Elijah, just like Jesus himself. It's a picture of the church as we wait for the coming of the king to return. So listen, this Christmas, the first thing that I want you to take from this is we're not battling simply against flesh and blood. We're battling against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers in this present darkness. And we acknowledge the darkness, but we're going to choose to live in the light. Verses 7 through 12 is the heavenly counterpart. It's what Christ does on earth has these heavenly implications. We have Michael, the great angel. He's the one in Daniel 8 that's representing God's people. He's fighting for us in heaven, even as Jesus fights for us on earth. And the dragon, who's now described as Satan, he's thrown down to the earth with, the, with his wicked host of fallen angels. And we hear, we hear this, now the salvation and the power, the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. It's the inaugurated messianic kingdom that has been prophesied of old. It's not the consummation of the kingdom, but it's the beginning of the kingdom. And the beginning of the kingdom is with the coming of Jesus Christ. It's at this moment that the power of, uh, the, power of the enemy in heaven has been crushed and his kingdom comes crashing down. You have to understand, until the time of Christ, Satan had this position where he could stand up near the presence of God and accuse God's people. And after Jesus, he's cast out because his accusations will no longer hold. When Jesus comes, his life and his death satisfies the justice of God because he's the spotless substitutionary lamb who was born to die to save us from death, sin, and the devil. Verse 11 summarizes the whole chapter. They, us, we have conquered him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Let me say it like this. The devil is battling against our physical lives only because he knows that he's lost the battle over our eternal lives. It doesn't minimize the importance of our physical lives, but it puts it in perspective. How come? I mean, look, the folks that we talked about, how come? 
how come Alex and Brent, whom, whom I don't even know because he left before I got here, but you read their blog posts, why in the midst of a battle with cancer do they have hope? Is it hope in symbols or is it hope in reality? How come they can acknowledge the darkness but still live in the light because they know what we're talking about is real? And what about you? All right, what about us? How are we to continue in the face of our own hardships? Because I know many of you are struggling with hardships. How do we persevere in the face of huge obstacles? Brothers and sisters, the birth of Christ tells us that Jesus Christ is one, and because he's one, we have one as well. Uh, and not only accepting the bad things that, that come to us, but I, but I think that understanding this reality gives us power to enter into the suffering of other people in a way that we don't necessarily enjoy, but we can still do it for the glory of God. And let me, let me explain that. Uh, there are many of you that I've met in the last 10 months that need to forgive somebody, forgive somebody very, very particular to you. And, and what is forgiveness? But actively entering into pain by paying the price for somebody's offense against us. You realize that's what happens when we, when we actually forgive somebody who caused us pain. In the face of a real offense, in the face of real harm, when you say that you're going to forgive somebody, you are, you're saying instead of making you pay, I'm going to pay the price in my pain, in my hurt, and I'm going to forgive you. And it hurts to forgive. But what if you've already won? What if you've already won? There are all sorts of opportunities that will come up this week that will ask you to give up of your comfort and your leisure and maybe even ask you to sacrifice something. If you've already won, if you already have everything that you know that you need for ultimate victory, you are now free to enter into the suffering and the discomfort of serving other people. We can choose, listen, who here likes the hard way? I don't. I, I, I was working on this sermon last week and I had several things come up. You can, you can ask Christian, she won't tell you what they are specifically, but she will, she will, she will verify this. I had several things come up that really got in the way of my sermon preparation, and I didn't want to go help people. And then I had to say, I'm sitting here working on a sermon that talks about the victory of Jesus, and the victory of Jesus enables me to give up my own desires so that I can go help somebody else. And I had to do it. And I don't tell you that to bring, bring attention to me. I tell you that because if I can do it, that means you can do it because there's nobody worse than me. We have already won and we have nothing to lose. Does it always feel like we are winning? Absolutely not. Are we winning? Yes. Have we won if you are in Christ? Absolutely. And it all began on Christmas morning. That's what Christmas is all about. We have won. God entered into our pain and suffering by taking on flesh and he did battle with the devil who we couldn't defeat and he defeated him for us. Which leads me to verses 13 through 17. Even in the midst of what is happening in the world, in spite of what we see and feel, God is at work protecting us. You realize the woman is given a set of wings 
The background for that is Exodus 19, Deuteronomy 32, where God is spoken of as carrying Israel as an eagle in the wilderness. And God does not change. He is still carrying us today. You know, we talk about uh, on the Wednesday before the sermon, we have a Bible study on the sermon, and, I, I, and, and we have all this community input from the staff. So this really isn't my sermon. Anything good in it, gives, I give credit to, to everybody else. Um, one thing Justin said to me is the devil has two enemies or two, two weapons at his disposal to attack us. It is false accusations and deception. And Jesus has come, and there's no way that the devil's accusation holds against us because the blood of the Lamb has been, has been thrown over us and we are forgiven. And not only that, because Jesus has come, we are enabled to fight back against the deception of the devil because the truth of the Lamb is real. So what stops the accusations of the devil? The blood of the lamb. What stops the deception of the devil and his minions? It's the truth about the lamb. So what do I want you to take away from this sermon here? I want you to walk out of these doors and I want you to realize there's a lot more to life than what you see. There's a lot more to life than what you feel. There are all sorts of heavenly realities that are going on, and our battle is not simply against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers and the authority and the cosmic power of this present darkness, and this present darkness is real, but we now have the power to choose to live in the light because Jesus Christ is the light, and he has won. The other thing that I would like to, to submit to you this morning is you can't, you can't, I'm sorry, but you need to hear this, you cannot avoid suffering in this life. So we probably as Christians need to quit trying to numb the effects of sin and the devil and struggle by seeking comfort in other gods. And we have to seek hard after Christ because suffering is real. It doesn't define us. What defines us is Jesus Christ. So we're now free to quit trying to change everybody else. We're called to follow Jesus because Jesus is our victory. And if Jesus has won, we have won as well. Let me end like this. Whether you believe it or not, the battle for life, the battle for eternal life has been won. And if you are a believer and if you are in Christ, you will experience the fruits of the victory fully in the future. You are and you will be perfectly and absolutely secure even if you don't feel like it. And because of the victory of Jesus, we can love, we can serve, we can work, we can even persevere to show the rest of the world that Jesus Christ has won. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus has come, and we have won. Let's pray. Father, I do pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, for those especially who do not feel like they are victorious. And if we have to acknowledge that there will always be days in our lives when we don't feel like we are victorious. But this Christmas, remind us that you've sent your son and your son did not die in vain.
but he died on the cross to live. And Jesus is one. Remind us of the victory of Jesus and his victory is ours. For any of those people out there who may not believe in the victory of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would um, be merciful and gracious and kind. That you would open up their eyes. That you would draw them close. And that they would see Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.